A while back, Billy Graham was invited to speak at a luncheon, luncheon in North Carolina. And after many wonderful things were said about him, he stepped to the podium, and this is what he said. He said, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, the great physicist, who this month has been honored by Time magazine as the man of the century. Einstein was traveling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle, punching the tickets of every passenger. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached into his vest pocket. He couldn't find his ticket, so he reached into his trouser pockets. It wasn't there. He looked in his briefcase. He couldn't find his ticket. He looked in the seat beside him. He still couldn't find it. The conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein nodded appreciatively. The conductor continued, continued down the aisle punching tickets, and as he's ready to leave to go to the next car, he turned around and he saw the great physicist down on his hands and knees under his seat looking for his ticket. The conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. No problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Einstein looked at him and said, Young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I am going. <laughs> we like to feel secure and safe, like we're in control. We like to know that we're on the right track. We like to know that we're headed in the right direction and we're going to safely get there. Have you ever been driving along a highway and had that anxious feeling and all of a sudden you didn't know exactly where you were and you... You felt a little strange. Maybe you missed your turn or something like that. Our pastor in Pocatello, Reverend George Nye, who performed our wedding for Jan and I, once told me shortly after he came to Pocatello, and he wasn't familiar with that part of, of southeastern Idaho, he said he was driving alone in the middle of the night, and he was on I-84, and he was just east of Burley, Idaho. He's out in the middle of nowhere. It's dark. There's a few scant lights far away in the distance from a few farmhouses. And all of a sudden, he came upon a major freeway interchange. Multiple lights, on-ramps, off-ramps, highways crossing. An interchange, they said, was more like what he was used to in California. Well, it's where I-84 bends south to Salt Lake City, and I-86 continues uh, to Pocatello and, and to Boise. He didn't know where he was. He thought he was out in the middle of nowhere, and then all of a sudden, here's this big freeway interchange, and he said he was totally disoriented. His heart started racing, he said. He felt like he was totally lost. How could he have gotten so far off track? And uh, he wasn't, but he thought he was, and so he felt unstable. He felt insecure. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has been exhorting the Philippians, to reach to what, to forget what lies behind and to reach forward to what lies ahead, to run the life, run the race of the Christian life without looking back, to press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call that is in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul has talked about the examples whom we are to follow, whom we are to imitate as, we, as they imitate Christ. He's warned us about the enemies of the cross who try to knock us down and who leave Christians scattered all over the track. He reminds us of who and what awaits us at the end 
We eagerly await our Savior, who will clothe us in a body fitted for heaven's glories. And now in chapter 4, in his letter to the Philippians, where Paul says finally for a second time, typical preacher, (laughs) not getting done, Paul turns to the subject of stability, spiritual stability. In order to press on, in order to move on towards the goal, to reach for the prize, it takes stability, it takes spiritual stability. Now we've learned that the church of Philippi was a loving church. They loved the Apostle Paul, they loved one another, he loved them, but it was not a perfect church. It was a giving church. At one point in time, they were the only church that was supporting Paul's missionary efforts in his journeys. But it was not a perfect church. It was a doctrinally sound church, but it was not a perfect church. It was a koinonia church, a fellowshipping church, and all the multiple facets of that word, but it was not a perfect church. It was the very first church established in Europe. It had great leadership, but it was not a perfect church. The problem is, no church is perfect. And Satan is adept at exploiting the weaknesses of any imperfect church and knocking it completely off track. The world, the flesh, the devil are adept at exploiting the instability of Christians. I'm knocking them down, knocking them off track, discouraging them, discrediting them, disorienting them. As we have worked through the first three chapters of the book of Philippians, there have been some hints of the destabilizing threats in Philippi. They were being persecuted. There were false teachers whom Paul called dogs, evil workers, and the false circumcision. There were hints of dissension and disunity. There were those who were out for themselves, who selfishly put themselves first and made their own ministries to be the all and most important thing in the church. There were grumblers, remember that? Gugosmos in the Greek. Gugosmos, 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 sounds just like what the word means. There were complainers, there were disputers, all of which threatened the spiritual stability of the church and the individual members of it. Spiritual instability in a church and among Christians has a massive negative effect. Spiritual instability leads to disappointment. It leads to doubt. It causes discouragement. It leads to ineffective witness. Unstable people are likely to be crushed by their trials. Unstable people are susceptible to temptation. Unstable people drag other Christians down with them. The topic of the first nine verses of Philippians chapter 4 is spiritual stability and how we obtain it. In fact, some have called this section of scripture, these first nine verses, seven steps to spiritual stability. This morning we're going to consider only the first verse of Philippians chapter 4, chapter 4 verse 1, as an introduction to how we obtain spiritual stability that we'll be looking at in the next uh, few weeks. So if you'd like to turn there, the fourth chapter of Philippians at verse 1, this verse will form an introduction this morning of this great section of Scripture on spiritual stability. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. The command is to stand firm in the Lord. And before we look at the command, we need to take a little bit of a closer look at the reasons we need to stand firm. 
In this letter, Paul has already mentioned three things in Philippi that threatened the stability of the church. And so we need to understand these because we need to stand firm because of persecution and because of dissension and then because of false teachers. At any one time in any church, the church, I believe, will have at least one of these destabilizing factors threatening the stability of the church. I've been in churches where all three were going on at the same time. Persecution, dissension, false teaching. And these are the reasons that the Paul gives for commanding the Philippians and us as well as Grace Baptist Church why we need to stand firm. First of all, we need to stand firm because of, of persecution. Persecution causes instability. It causes physical instability. It causes spiritual instability. We see the instability that it causes physically. All we have to do is go to northern Iraq and take a look at what's going on over there as persecution is, is causing hundreds of thousands of people, literally, to be displaced from their homes, to run for their lives. Others that stay lose their lives or are sold into slavery through the human trafficking that's going on. All that instability where now there's 40,000 people up on a mountain in, in Iraq that are surrounded by ISIL, that evil people that are wanting to kill them. And so that's the physical instability that's going on. Sometimes we don't realize that it also causes a spiritual instability. Please turn in your Bible back a couple pages to Philippians chapter 1 at verse 29. Because the first chapter of Philippians at verse 29, Paul mentions how the Philippians had suffered for the sake of Christ. Chapter 1 verse 29 says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. I like the context, the way that John MacArthur puts this, the way he said it in the sermon, so I want to read his words. He said, There is the world with all its allurements that endeavors to entice the believer. We are always under assault. In our personal lives, there will be times of persecution and trial, severe trial, subtle persecution in our society, which I think sometimes is more difficult than that which is not subtle. I think in a society where being a Christian costs you your life, and where being a Christian makes you a prisoner, and where being a Christian shuts you off from society altogether, once you have declared yourself a Christian and it's cut and dried, it might be easier to maintain that testimony. Then in our society where we are accepted by the world, to the degree that we want their acceptance. Did you hear that? Where we are accepted by the world to the degree that we want their acceptance. And somehow we are afraid to make our Christianity an issue. And so subtly we compromise because we are caught between being different and being part. Whereas in a society where you're definitely apart from the system, there's no subtlety. I think our persecutions may be in some ways harder. And let me add, to be spiritually stable. And then he continues. I remember a Russian pastor saying to me, right on that front row through an interpreter. I said to him, how is it to pastor a church? Is it difficult? He said, it's easy. You always know where everyone stands. He said, what I don't understand is how in the world you can pastor a church in America where the compromises are so common 
and, and subtle. So we have persecution, we have personal problems and trials, and we, we, these kind of things tend to cause us to break down our trust in God and break down our trust in one another. They make us nervous and anxious and cause us to worry and fret and fume and sometimes cause us to retaliate and feel vengeance and carry bitterness and bear sorrow. And we wonder, where do we go to get fixed? We have problems in our marriages. We have problems in our families. We have struggles. We have dilemmas. And we pursue solutions and resolution. And we even fight in our own lives the strong temptation to sin. And the world is very clever in its allurements. And the flesh is very vulnerable. And the devil is very aggressive. And it's very much a battle to stay stable. So we need to stand firm because we face persecution, we face the attacks of the enemy. And secondly, we are to stand firm because of, of dissension. Dissension. We are just at verse 29 of the first chapter of Philippians. Look at what Paul says a couple of verses before in verse 27 of the first chapter. This is the very first mention in the book of Philippians in this letter about standing firm. Verse 27 he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now we're going to see a remarkable thing in Paul's letter here. Three times in this letter, Paul is going to exhort the Philippians to be of one mind, to not have dissension, to strive together. We see it again in verse 2 of Philippians chapter 3 where he says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And then again in verse 14 of the second chapter, Do all things without gugosmus, gugosmus, or disputing. <laughs> Three times a charm. Did they get it? Do they see how important it is when they're hearing this, this letter read to them before the congregation? I hope so, because this letter was read vocally before the entire congregation. And after three admonitions on how important it is and how, it essential, how it's essential in life in the ministry of the church, Paul names names in Philippians chapter 4. In other places, Paul names names when he's calling out apostates. He said, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Paul names names of those who persecuted him. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And significantly, here Paul names names of those who caused dissension in the church. Verse 2 of Philippians chapter 4. I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Or as Pastor Ray Stedman has paraphrased it, I urge Odious and soon Touchy to live in harmony in the Lord. I can't even imagine what it must have been like to be Udia and Syntyche. These were women who loved the Lord. These were women who served the church. To hear Paul's admonition three times in the reading of this letter and then to hear their own names mentioned. I would hope that they felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit before they got to the second verse, what we call the second verse of, of the fourth chapter. Can you imagine? I don't know if everybody turned around and looked at them or whether everybody put their heads down in shame. I can't imagine. 
But Paul knew what their dissension would do to the testimony and the effectiveness of the church. And then Paul admonished the Philippians to stand firm because of false teachers. Paul warned the Philippians in verse 2 of the third chapter, where he said, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. And then he had more to say in verses 18 and 19 of that third chapter. For many walk of whom I am often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Three things that threaten the stability of the church at Philippi. Persecution and troubles, dissension, and false teachers. And that brings us to the command. The command to stand firm and what it means to have spiritual stability. Uh, verse 1 again of Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved brethren, in whom I long to see my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. As Paul so often does, he changes metaphors here. He's been talking about running a race. Maybe it's even a chariot race as we're bracing ourselves and leaning forward, reaching towards the prize, pressing forward without looking back the way we're supposed to run a race. And then he switches to standing firm because that metaphor best suits his purposes here and what he wants us to understand and what he wants us to apply to our lives. The Greek term translated standing firm in Philippians chapter 4 verse 1 is a military word. It's a military word that pictures a soldier standing his guard in the midst of battle. It's the picture of Roman soldiers. They stand shoulder to shoulder in formation, standing their ground against the enemy onslaught. Now, I don't re normally recommend movies because they all got junk in them, but I remember when I saw... Uh, uh, gladiator for the first time. My son and I went to it. It was a father-son thing. And the gladiator starts out with the, the Roman soldiers on one side of this valley and the German barbarians on the other. You know, and the German barbarians, you know, they're all painted and they're ugly and they're hairy. And they're, you know, I'm going, oh, the Romans can never win this battle. The Romans on the other side, they are standing firm in formation. And I think, oh, there's just no way the Romans can win this battle. But what I did do, I said to Ben, I, I pointed to the German barbarians and he said, those are your ancestors. And he said to me, yours first. <laughs> I could never one up him. But <laughs> because the Roman soldiers had discipline, because they were able to stand shoulder to soldier, shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder, <laughs> they won the battle. The same metaphor is used in Ephesians chapter 6, 11, where it says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Standing firm spiritually means not compromising our Christian testimony by allowing ourselves to be overwhelmed by trials or temptation, to stand against the wiles of the devil, to stand firmly no matter what comes our way. We don't crumble under persecution and we don't compromise. We don't crumble under testing and complaint. We don't crumble under temptation and sin. We stand firm. We are spiritually stable. So how do we stand firm? How do we do this? 
When I think of soldiers standing firm, I, I think of the stance that they take. They have to brace themselves in a certain way with, with their feet, bracing themselves with their legs in a certain position. And we also think of their, their footing, where they are standing. You can't stand firm on something that's slippery or something that's uneven or something that's on a, a slope. No matter how you brace yourself against the onslaught of trials and tribulations, against the grumblers, against the false teachers, if you're not on solid ground, it's going to overwhelm you. So here Paul gives us the basis or the foundation, our footing, the sure footing of the command to stand firm. And we find that in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 4. And it's interesting to me that the solid basis for the command, the footing on which we stand, isn't what we might first think it is. You know, we might first think, well, it's got to be sound doctrine. It's got to be the truth of God's word. And so we think, if I can just get my doctrine right, then I'll be able to stand the onslaught. As they'd say in that old show, wrong grasshopper. That's not necessarily true. Nor does Paul mention scripture as the basis. That if I can memorize enough scripture passages or understand the Bible better, I'll be able to stand firm. Wrong grasshopper. <laughs> not necessarily True. I think I've used this, told this story before, but I remember when, uh, when we were, I was pastoring in Payette, and it was oh, about 6 o'clock in the evening, starting to get dark that time of, of night at the church, that time of the year. And I think I was waiting for a Bible study at 7 o'clock or something. I don't remember exactly, but a, a man came into the church, and, and he was very distraught. You know, he, he was just beside himself. He, he was not stable in all kinds of ways. And, and I said, well, is there something I can do for you? And he says, well, well, well I've memorized, memorized the all, Our Father and I've memorized the Hail Mary. Are there any more prayers that I can memorize? And, and then he called me Father several times, so I knew that he, he thought he was in a Catholic church, but he was, he was looking for more prayers that he could memorize because he thought that was going to bring some kind of release or relief to his life, and I, I tried to explain to him that it's not in what you memorize, but it's, it's Christ in your heart. You know, do you know, do you know Jesus Christ? You know, so he was trying to memorize all these things and get it right, and it just wasn't working. You know, as important as sound doctrine is, as important it is to hide God's word in our hearts, as important it is to be sanctified in truth, as Jesus said, Paul gives us another footing here. That's not the sure foundation. Lots of people have their doctrine right. Lots of people have memorized tons of verses, and they get run over and taken out in the Christian life on a regular basis. The key to discovering what the basis is or the sound footing on which we are to stand firm is the first word in verse 1 of chapter 4. In the Bible I'm using, it says, Therefore. Therefore, there is the key. Whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, ask what is it there for? Because it refers to what Paul has just said in the previous verse, in verse 21 of chapter 3, where he says, We are to eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is in verse 21, what the therefore is therefore. Who will transform the body of our humble state 
into conformity with the body of his glory. Therefore, because we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, therefore, because we are becoming more and more like Christ, in other words, we stand firm by pursuing Christ-likeness, by becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. The more we are like Jesus Christ, the more spiritually stable we will be. Again, I like the way that John MacArthur said it when he asked some questions. He asked, did Christ stand firm? Did he ever waver? No, no. Did he ever compromise? No. Did he ever sin? No. He who knew no sin, says the Bible. He was without sin, the perfect high priest. Jesus Christ, then, is the model. And he stood firm against it all and never violated God. Persecuted, yes. Did he fall? No. Did he compromise? No. Tempted, yes. Did he fall? No. Did he sin? No. Jesus was put through all kinds of trials in life. Did he crumble under those trials, collapse, lose his confidence in God, and wander around looking for a human fix? No. He stood firm. And since he is the prize and the goal of our life, and since we are citizens of heaven, and since someday we will be like him, and that is our present desire, we must therefore do as he did, stand firm. Stand firm. Unquote. The basis on which we are able to stand firm and be stable is totally and utterly dependent upon our becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, our Savior. The more we are like Christ, the better we'll be able to stand. We can get our doctrine exactly right. We can memorize the entire Bible. But if we neglect being transformed to the image of Christ, we can end up being unstable in all our ways. In fact, as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, in my experience, there is nothing more dangerous spiritually than the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, in the hands of an unstable person. The way people take the truths of God's word and they hack at other people. And I think I've used this example before too. When Jan and I were engaged and we were going together and uh, we had uh, some friends who had been in the same Bible study group as us and they were also engaged. And uh, this other guy that was engaged to a friend of Jan's, he, he, he was just unstable. <laughs> he just, you know, trials and tribulations, it was constant on him, you know, and and some day, some, one day is on a Saturday morning, and of course I'm not a morning person, and in those days when I was rooming with my future brother-in-law, John Terrell, you know, my, my apartment, my room wasn't all that whoopy, you know. It's easier to pile clothes than put them away, then you just pick the pile, <laughs> you know. And so he took it upon himself one Saturday morning to come over and straighten me out spiritually. And so he brought his Bible, I go to the door, and I'm hardly awake, and I invite him in, and I think something was going on in the living room, so we go back into my bedroom, you know, I move piles away, so, you know, put in a chair so he can sit there, and, and he looked at me and opened his Bible and read his scripture, read a scripture passage, and, and his whole deal was that he thought I should be making Jan submit to me. <laughs> and I go, I don't think so. Would you... Would you please do my laundry on the way out? 
you know, when people get it in their minds, when they're unstable to begin with, and then they take the sword of the Spirit and, and do those kind of things. So, But I want to show you something about the spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6. If you'd like to turn there, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. You're probably familiar with this portion of Scripture. Paul is going to list the pieces of the armor. And I want you to see something that you, you may not have noticed before. Verse 10 of Philippians chapter 6. And I want you to kind of picture yourself in this passage. As I read it, see yourself getting armored up. That's the way I do it. There's been some days where I've done this morning after morning after morning the first time I, when I get up, you know, because as I open my eyes and look up, my, my first words are a prayer, oh God. <laughs> yeah. And then there's times where I need to put on the spiritual armor before my feet hit the ground. Philippians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist the, in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith which, with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now let me point out something in this passage. We are to put on the belt of truth, gird our loins with truth. Let me ask you a question. Who is truth? Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, if we are to put on truth, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We clothe ourselves with him. We are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Who is our righteousness? Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When we receive Jesus Christ for our Savior, all of our sins have been laid on him at the cross, and the great exchange is then all of his righteousness is placed on us. Christ is our righteousness. We are to shod our feet with the gospel of peace. Who is the Prince of Peace? Who is the one who died for our sins so that we might have peace with God? It is Jesus Christ. So what or who is the sure fruiting? It's Jesus Christ. Here Paul said to put on the full armor of God. He used similar words when he said to the Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Jesus Christ is the armor. Putting on the full armor of God and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is one and the same. What Paul calls here the full armor of God is the exact same thing that Paul meant in other places where we put on Jesus. We are to clothe ourselves in Jesus Christ. We are to prepare ourselves for the battle so we can stand firm by putting on Jesus. And once we have put on the Lord Jesus Christ, then notice, then we take up the shield of faith. Three times it says, having put on, 
having put on, having put on, having clothed ourselves in Christ, then we take the shield of faith, then we put on the helmet of salvation, and then we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So don't miss this. If you don't first put on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you haven't clothed himself, clothed yourself in his truth, with his righteousness, with his peace, if he is not your firm foundation, if you're not becoming more and more like Jesus Christ in truth, righteousness, and peace, you're going to find the rest of the armor to be very unwieldy. You can't go with these. Always think of David when he's going to go against Goliath. Saul puts his armor on, on the little ruddy red-headed guy named David. And, uh, you know, Jan, years ago, she bought me one of those precious moment figurines that shows a little boy put it, you know, with the full armor of God. And later she made a neat uh, cross-stitch of it and those kind of things. But, you know, I, I, I can just picture David, you know, the helmet sideways because it's too big and he can't hardly pick up the shield and he can't do this. And David says to, to Saul tactfully, well, I can't go with these. <laughs> You know, so, so he picks up the sling and he picks up the five stones and those kind of things. We are to pick the right armor, having put on Jesus Christ, then we can go with these. The shield, the helmet, and even the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, will be of little help against the enemy. And we will be overwhelmed. We will find ourselves destabilized, worried, anxious, discouraged, confused, not knowing which way to turn. Or maybe even worse, we just want to totally pack it in with this Christian life thing and go with the flow, but that's because we have not clothed ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul told the Galatians who were facing the instability of false teachers who were uh, being taken away from the gospel and by these strange teachings and those kind of things, Paul said to them, I am in labor again until Christ is formed in you. If we could paraphrase, what was Paul's great, greatest part of ministry uh, to the churches and to believers to see Christ formed in them? More than anything else, he did not want Satan to prevent Christ from being formed in them. It's kind of interesting how things cross in several different ways because in Daniel chapter 10 in the adult Sunday school class, we're going to be studying spiritual warfare uh, for, for several weeks. And uh, we're right here at that same place because the rest of Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, 2 through 9, are going to show us how to stand firm. As Ephesians put it, how to put on the full armor of God, how to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, how to be spiritual stable, how to be a spiritually stable church, to how, how is Christ to be formed in, in us. And, and more than likely, you're going to find some of your favorite verses in this passage. So let me leave you with that thought again as I go back to it. Philippians chapter 4 at verse 4. How is Christ formed in us? How can we be spiritually stable? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How is Christ formed in us? How can we be spiritually stable? Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. How is Christ formed in us? How can we be spiritually stable? Be anxious for nothing 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How can we be spiritually stable? How can Christ be formed in us? Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. How can we be spiritual stable? How can Christ be formed in us? The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Shall we pray? Oh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that uh, we're not left to our own devices. When we come against the schemes and the wiles of the devil, when we're feeling discouraged or, or overwhelmed, Father, when things just seem to be pressing in upon us, just help us to remember one thing. It's not up to me. <laughs> it's not up to me. Father, we thank you that through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit, you provide for us every spiritual resource. That it's not my strength, it's your strength. That it's not my power, it's your power. That it's not my ideas, it's your wisdom. That it's not my sword, it's yours. It's not my shield, it's yours. It's not my helmet, it's yours. And you provide all of these things for us as Christ is formed. And for this we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.